Welcome to Hindsight, flash fiction tales written and narrated by Joyce Holt. Come along with me every week or two for glimpses into the past and for folk tales retold for today's listener. Continuing with my Celtic march, episode three of Hindsight brings you two tales from Kimri, known to some as Wales. First in town with full gallop, then out in the wilds with smooth as butter. Full Gallop, written and narrated by Joyce Holt. Rowena hushed Maddock and drew him back round the corner of the house they had just passed. What is it? he hissed. There's a black horse standing at the head of the lane yonder. So? That lane leads to the graveyard. Maddock's teeth flashed in the gloom of twilight. So we're not the only ones roaming dark village streets. Someone's gone to rob a grave. Rowena shook her head. No saddle, no bridle. This is not a thief's mount ready and waiting for flight. Astray, then. No need to be shying away into the shadows like this. Rowena gulped. This is no stray. It's a death horse. When it stands at the burying lane, it's waiting for orders. Whose soul to fetch? Someone in the village is soon to die. Ah, I've heard tell of the creature, but just as a tale to scare children. Maddock leaned around the corner, taking another look. It is a rather large horse, he murmured. And its eyes, are they glowing? Rowena wrapped arms around herself. Well, there's no getting past it unless we want to go wide around and tramp over the fields. Though with the rain this morning, the ground would be all mucky. We can wait here, Maddock drew her close. I'll keep you warm. Rowena giggled and pushed him back. Flirt, my friend Isolde lives just up the street. You haven't met her yet. Let's go pay her a visit. They walked away from the spectre at the burying lane. Have you seen the death horse before? Maddock asked. Yes, two times. Once it set off walking, just ambling along to the house of old Torith the Sour, who poisoned her neighbor's dogs and cats. She lingered for days before the fever finally took her. Another time, the black horse trotted along in fits and starts, back and forth. And old man Garnock kept coming to death's door, but then rallying. He never returned anything he borrowed and spread the vilest rumors. Who do you think death might come for tonight? Rowena shrugged. No idea. No one is sick that I've heard of. A bugling cry shattered the quiet of the night, and a clatter of heavy hooves. Once more, Rowena dragged Maddock into cover. The great black horse pounded down the cobblestones, sparks flying from each strike of the hooves. A gale stinking of sulfur swirled in its wake, and Rowena gagged at the stench. Her eyes widened when she saw the fearsome beast halt in front of the grandest house on the lane. Tithy, the tight-fisted plague of the village, 
Tithe, the greedy solicitor who had driven several local old folk to the poorhouse when they couldn't pay their debts. Tithe, the money-grubbing lawyer who had so abruptly shouldered his way into local affairs these last few weeks. A full-blown gallop, Maddock gasped. What does that portend? Rowena's lips stretched thin at the justice of it. Sudden death. Smooth as Butter, a folktale from Wales, written and narrated by Joyce Holt. Griffith af sank to rest on a riverside boulder, his feet hurt from the day's long march. Spray from the waterfall blessed his overheated face. Perhaps he should soak his feet before going on. Griffith looked at the path ahead. The land rose in great lurching steps toward the Brecon beacons. Their soaring peaks glazed from the rosy sunset. Perhaps he should have sought lodging in that last village, Glyn Neath. He grimaced. Gone too long already. He missed his wife, Arianwen, with a pain deeper than aching feet. He stood and hoisted his pack. He would hike all night to speed his journey home. The waterfall's song changed its note, and Griffith shot it a glance. The cascade broke around something as white as its own foam. The head of a horse. Griffith blinked, startled, as a pale horse stepped gracefully through the streaming curtain of water. Was there a cave behind the falls? The mare splashed to shore and shook herself, droplets dancing through the air, all a shimmer in the last light of the setting sun. The horse turned big, soulful eyes to Griffith and whickered in greeting. Offering a ride, are you? He shifted his pack and nodded. Don't mind if I do. No saddle or bridle, but this wasn't one of those hulking English plow horses. Griffith climbed astride the small horse and took hold of the snow-white mane. Up and over the mountains, please, he said, giving a knee nudge. The white mare set off up the path leading northeast. The steepness of the way didn't slow her. In fact, her pace sped faster and faster, though her gait remained smooth as butter. Griffith grinned into the dusk. I'll be home soon, sweet Ariane one. Trees whizzed past. The river churned to one side of the path, uncoiling like a serpent. Griffith glanced down and gasped. Those silvery hooves were not striking ground. His delight turned to worry and wonder, and then, as the landscape melted into a blur beneath him, to terror. There had been no cave behind the waterfall. This was a water horse, a kefaldur, a treacherous creature from the other world. Griffith clung tighter to mane and withers, which had not yet melted into mist, and a good thing, for now they soared over shadowy mountain peaks. Like lightning, the Kefaldur came plunging down the beacon's northwest side, over wild ridges and dense forest. They had forsaken the path miles ago. The moon, just past full, crept up over the eastern horizon. The moment its light struck Griffith and his unearthly mount, the horse bucked. Its rider fell to ground at the crest of the hill they were overflying. 
Griffith tumbled and came to rest. He couldn't breathe, couldn't see, couldn't think. At last he heaved in a great gasp and lurched up, aching all over. There stood the Keffeldur, looking amused. As she ambled away, she blurred into a mist that wafted on the night breeze. Dazed, Griffith limped downhill, coming to the village of Llanthiwi Brevi, fifty-some miles from that haunted waterfall near Glynneath, and still fifty miles from home in the other direction. An excerpt from Brigand's Blade, a novel by Joyce Holt. In Chapter 8. Gwen took their empty bags upstream around a bend, hunting for a rippling stretch of sun-blessed current, and bent to dip the bags. She looked up to face a pair of black-pelted knees, and scooted backwards in surprise, slipped on the wet bank, and plopped onto her rump. The river horse towered over her, nostrils wide and snuffling. The scent of a midsummer night's blooming of honeysuckle wafted like steam from the beast's wet flanks. Gwen hunched herself backwards again, but the otherworldly beast strode forward to close the gap, its great head swinging down to whuffle in her face. Tendrils of her hair whipped up in the draft of its indrawn breath. River horse, river horse, she squeaked, trying to remember the chant to drive the beast away. Was the name alone enough to fend it off? Excerpt from chapter 51. The river horse lurched up from the estuary, trailing water weeds and muck, leaving great puddles in my in novel his Brigham's Blade. Gwen, Gwen Rickdrake encountered a shape-shifting water horse in the mountains. I beg you, leave the girl be. She has a, a terror on her. hungry kelpie in her the raging tides of soil. The wild one swung its great black head to gaze at her. With fiery, glowing eyes, its nostrils flared red, and seaweed twined its mane. This was no gentle river horse, but the man-hungry kelpie of the sea. The kelpie reared against the twilight sky and bellowed its hunger. An answering roar rose beyond the sea beast, swelling on the wind that howled up the estuary. Kairos screamed again and leaped into flight, inland this time. Gwen backed off, holding up a fistful of arrowheads, the ones she'd purchased in market, the only iron left in her possession. Feeble protection against such a monster from the realm of the wild, the sea creature that devoured salmon runs, tore great rents in fishing nets, terrorized poor fisherfolk who bobbed about in flimsy coracles. The kelpie's forefeet plunged back to ground like a thunderclap. The bank shook beneath Gwen's feet. Moonlight glinted from the kelpie's wet flanks. Mane and tail lashed like snakes in the wind. Behind the beast, the river's surface surged and rose and spread across the sands. Gwen's gaze darted between threat and path of retreat. Out on the flats, the roar raged louder. The kelpie bugled, lowered its head like a bull, and started for Gwen, each footfall sending shudders through the mire. Its eyes blazed yellow, and nostrils a fiery red against the slimy blackness of its skin, its mane ribboned with silver mist in the sickly light of the moon. You'll not have me, she cried, scrambling up a hummock. The kelpie stomped, 
and the hummock crumbled away, spilling her back to the strand. She lost the arrowheads. The roar thundered on the air, pushing a gale of wind inland. Downstream, a line of pale froth gleamed in the moonlight as it rushed up the river's wide channel. Gwen lurched back to her feet. She knew better than to run, but no matter which way she sidled, the kelpie surged like the tide to cross her path. And the tide was surging indeed. It swallowed all the sand flats and crept up the banks and sucked clumps of reeds and glasswort into its greedy grasp, tearing the fragile silted mats of roots that had passed for solid land. Was the whole marsh going to slide into the sea? The kelpie reared again with an ear-splitting bugle and plunged down once more, splashing a measly puddle into a plume that hurled Gwen to the ground. She scooted backwards, sobbing in despair, as with one great earth-shaking bound the monster closed the distance between. I hope you enjoyed taking a long look back with hindsight. Find out more about my writings, flash fiction, and novels on my website, JoyceHolt.com. In lowercase and no spaces, that's J-O-Y-C-E-H-O-L-T.com. Thanks for dropping in.